0: Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I have been around cybersecurity for the last 20 years and I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I've been intrigued to learn how a company starts. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. I have Emil here from Kaido to tell about his story and his motivation to start the company. Emil, can you please tell me about yourself and the company?
1: Hi, I'm Emil, former software engineer. I'm still doing a lot of software engineers, but I started as a software engineer and now turn a bit of a founder. At Kaido, we build a web security auditing toolkit. The idea is we want to bring something new to the market where we are used to those Java applications that were built 20 years ago, Zap, Burp. And we're trying to build something new in this environment.
0: So this is interesting that even so, we're not really going deep on the technical part. When you go online and people want to start in cybersecurity, somehow a lot of people want to start in pen testing. I strongly yeah. disagree to this is where you should be starting, but this is my opinion. If you just finish college, it doesn't mean you need to go build Empire State. You want to build like a shock somewhere before you graduate to this, at least my view. But you building tools for people that are doing good job, not bad job, to be better, correct?
1: Yeah, that's the idea.
0: And it's interesting because we have so many different tools, so much innovation in cyber and generally in IT, but these particular tools are basically fifteen, twenty years old.
1: Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of new startups or companies building in this ecosystem and we have seen a lot of scanners. We've seen a lot of various tools that are in Golang. A lot of them are in Golang, like small tools that do one specific jobs. not necessarily a tool that you have a plugin system and you have all of those combining things together. So I think that's what we're trying to do. And it's also a big job to start into the ecosystem with 20 years of people that have been working on that.
0: So this podcast is about motivation of people to start their own companies. So a couple of years ago, what inspired you and your friends to start a company?
1: It was really my co-founder, Jan, that was a bug bounty hunter full-time. And he was tired of doing that, just that, at least full-time. And then he was looking at what could he do in the security space that would improve his own workflows and also improve the community's workflows in general. And one thing when you're in that world, a lot of people say, oh, we use those tools not necessarily because we like them, but because there is no real alternative. So that got him the idea of starting Kaido and At that time, I was between contracts and I wanted to go in security. It's been a real motivation for me. I've done like CTFs in the past, but not necessarily working directly in security. I was mostly infrastructure and coding. So that was for me a good opportunity to get really into the cybersecurity world and combine that passion with what I'm good at is like building software. So I think that's my origin story into that project.
0: So you mentioned bug bounty for the folks at listening and not in cyber. You're not talking about going and hiding criminals like we see in the movies. You're talking about something else.
1: Yeah, so the bug bounty is quite a new phenomenon compared to other areas in cybersecurity. And it's where businesses, companies, they go on platforms like HackerOne, BugCrowd. There are a couple of ones that are starting to be popular right now. And they offer this program, a bug bounty program, where you have hackers that are trying to find vulnerabilities in scope to your program. And then they report that gets triaged. If it's approved, then they get a bounty or like a, an amount of money and that's how they make a living. It's an interesting community. It's very different from the corporate traditional cybersecurity we've seen. There's a lot of lifestyle related to that also because it's independents that are working and you have events where people fly in from all over the world to participate into those events. So it's a very different world. And we come originally from that because of my co-founder. And we're still very much into that world at the moment, starting slowly to expand to more traditional pen testing firms and, and companies also that do red teaming. So this is actually what I wanted
0: to ask. How is bug bounty different than red teaming and pen testing?
1: You have a lot of necessarily marketing around it, but I would say like it's having a continuous pen test in a sense. Some people might disagree on that, but I would say like a pen test gives you a point in time where, like a bug bounty program, you have still have like people attacking you, and you still can have those point in times. But it gives a different perspective, and I think some bugs that in pen test you just don't have time to dig into for like very specific application bugs that some people might have time to do in a bug bounty program.
0: And I think, from my perspective, one part that I think confusing the internet or the community a bit that. Bug bounty will focus on applications, as you mentioned right now. Yeah. test may focus on application, but may also focus on the corporate environment. So if you compare this to a bank or insurance company, you're going to have their corporate environment where all the users are going to be, and they need to protect the users and the mm-hmm. information there, and they have the application. So with you, probably is the bug bounty, you're not going to go and bug bounty the corporate environment. You're going to go and tackle the application environment. And sometimes people treat it as one whole, but it's not.
1: No, that's totally true and totally fair. I think it does focus a lot on application. Sometimes they focus on like lower part of the stack. If you have an RDP port, they might try to attack it or something like that. But definitely they are more on the outside and generally they don't have access to the inner environments where a pentest you might start from the inner environment also. So that's different from that perspective. And it's also different from like red teaming inside of the enterprise, which is another world, I would say.
0: So we digressed from the usual questions I usually ask, but I think for people that are watching this, and never had an idea what even this mean i think it's important yeah so you had an idea with your friend actually friend had an idea you guys started one of the basic things is okay let's understand it's something that's troubling us is it troubling somebody else so you need to do market validation when you build a software people are gonna buy it what you guys did
1: we did something. I don't know if it's very super scientific, but we went on Twitter and we said, we're building this thing. We had a mock of the thing that we build and we sent it out to the world and say, okay, what are we getting out of this? And we got a thousand people to follow us on Twitter. And we got around 2000 people signing up on our small website with a sign in with your email. So we had 2000 emails. So that for us was like a big, Motivation that, okay, we're not alone in being tired of the status quo and wanting something new out of this. So that was like our first market validation. And we started building with that.
0: Do you try to raise money or you decided you just going to do it by yourself first?
1: At that time, none of us had any experience in raising money. So we just started working on it. We said, we're going to do one year and just see what we can do in a year and start building that. So we didn't raise money at that time. And then that was last year, so basically mid-2021 to like end of 2022. And then we got into Catalyst, the Cyber Accelerator for that. And we did the whole process of, okay, now are we ready to raise? Do we need to raise? And right now we decided to continue to be bootstrapped. We can talk about that decision. It's a hard path, I would say, in, in general also. But yeah, that's what we're at right now. And I think we still want to continue on that path for now.
0: I am guess because you didn't raise money, your team became state nimble as well.
1: Yes, we didn't grow the team. So we're still like three people. And I think that's a choice you make as a bootstrap company. Obviously, you can't grow as fast, but also it's a niche market. So it's a bit harder for us to... If we wanted to raise, we could, but we would need to expand a lot our scope and our focus. Where right now we still can be only for application pen testing, we don't need to go into any networking or anything like lower level or other protocols. So we are purely application.
0: So let's dive into the management of the company, how it was for you to move from programmer to a founder, because now you're not just basically coding, you need to make decisions, you need to make priorities, you need to spend some of the time selling as well, we're going to dive in more to the selling. Tell me
1: about it. It's a big change. I was doing contracting before. So I think for me, it was easier because I already had the experience of having this client relationship. You don't have a boss that tells you what to do. So in contracting usually, so you have your clients, you have expectations. So I think having that experience before, that was very valuable. Something that my co-founders didn't have. I'd say what I learned a lot is you need... Especially when you're bootstrapped, you do need to have some basic understanding of accounting, some basic understanding of legal, marketing, everything, because you have to do a lot by yourself. Obviously, you hire people to help you in the, those areas, but you need to be able to speak their language. And I think that is something I learned with the years and I'm getting better at. But that's a big change where usually, if you're just a coder, you code 40 hours a week and that's it, you interact with your boss. but when you have to do a lot of other stuff when you're founders and especially bootstrap you have to save as much cash as possible so you do a lot more by yourself and you don't necessarily hire for everything
0: how was sales are you in charge of sales so it's a collective part because i'm guessing dealing with customers is one starting the selling as a technical person is probably harder
1: yes so it's mainly me we do a bit of collective stuff but i do deal with most of the customers like at the moment we are a lot in the b2c world so it's mostly we get a lot of referrals and we automated a lot of the selling process so that was One of the first steps we did when we started selling, we were like, okay, we know it's a B2C, it's not big amounts of money, we cannot spend like hours on every customer. So we tried to automate as much as possible of the onboarding process, the learning process, everything, so we don't have to spend as much time as possible on that. So after that, it's really... Dealing with just people that send you email and you have a lot of them because on the B2C you have more emails, you just have more people asking questions and that need to do that. I think we're at the limit right now of what we can handle as a three-person team and still be productive. I think at some point within the next year or so, we're going to have to have someone in the community management or something like that.
0: Do you envision you're going to move to B2B? What kind of changes do we need to make to actually move to B2B?
1: That's a pretty good question. There are still a lot of unknowns for us, because that's not something I know a lot about. So I think in a B2B, we need to be a bit more formal in the way we interact with the customers. One of our big selling points in the B2C world is that you come to our Discord, we're there, you just ask your questions, and we're going to help you. And that's a big selling point when you're in the customer world. I think for the more enterprise world, you need like an SLA for like responding to customer questions, things like that. You need to be more formal. We have a cloud environments. You need to be more, have more guarantees on that cloud environments, things like that in terms of uptime. And I think that's the learning we're going to have to do in the coming years to get into the B2B space.
0: I'm guessing when you started the company, you're interested, but not fully convinced this is the right choice. Yeah. (laughs) Is <laughs> something happened for the last year and a half that shows you like, okay, I'm on the right choice. I'm doing this right. This is what I want to build. We don't need to pivot anywhere. We don't need to stop the company.
1: I'd say pivot is always interesting. I think we know we are in the right track because we know that there are not a lot of competitors in that space. We know that people want something in that space. So I think when we did pivot a bit is at the beginning We weren't sure how we wanted to do how the approach is going to be to that problem, basically. So I think we pivoted a bit on that space. We went a lot more recently on the no-code, low-code solution. So the idea is we want people to customize their tools, but they are not necessarily coders. So we want them to be able to do their workflows with as little code as possible or ideally without any code. So that's something new that we didn't have when we started. But in terms of the company, we know that we're still going to go in that direction of application testing. And we're still focusing on that. I think at the end of the day, when you're bootstrapped, you don't necessarily have an imperative. My bank account goes to zero. It's more, do I still want to spend another year of my own? It's always like a cost of opportunity, the way I see it. If you're not paid or you're paid a very small amount, what could I do else that could generate another revenue for me? So I think that's more the decision that we are facing in a bootstrap world, where ideally right now the company like pays for itself, but not necessarily can expand to a lot of employees.
0: If you're doing bootstrap, you it you're putting quite a lot of hours. Yeah. How do you manage work-life balance? Any tips or tricks?
1: I think it's discipline. At the end of the day, my personal tip that I developed, because it's the same problem when you're doing consulting, you can theoretically do as many hours as you can because you get paid as many hours and it's very hard to take breaks because of that. I would say at some point, you basically build your own tolerance. And when you do a certain amount of hours, that is okay for you. So for us, we try to keep it as maximum as 60 hours per week, because we know that if we do more than that, we're going to get burned out. And we have other interests and we try to manage that with that. Necessarily, we have other contracts, everybody on the team has other contracts. So we do take that time for that. And it's just a management of your priorities in life. I think we chose to be a founders because we wanted independence. And if that's one of your main motivation to be independent, not necessarily working like all the time is not necessarily your goal. So that aligns with how many time you put in your company. It's always a lot of effort, but it's not a race like a short time race. It's a marathon. Then that's the way we approach it. We know it's going to take years to build that thing. So if you approach it in a sustainable manner, I think it's easier to find a right balance there.
0: If you will go back to the beginning, would you do anything different?
1: I thought about that question a lot because it's it's always a bit of a tricky questions. I'd say not necessarily different, but I think I didn't realize how much work is going to be. Like all our estimates were wrong <laughs> in terms of like how much time it would take to get to a certain amount of revenue or just build some stuff. So I think I would just take my state of mind and say double that, and then can you afford that? But then maybe you would not have started the project either. So (laughs) that's always the thing, yeah. So not necessarily change a lot of things. I think when you do jobs, and then you change every two years jobs, or you change contracts every six months, you try to do your best also in software development in general, you try to do your best, but at the end of the day, you don't collect the mess. But when you're the founder of the company, you work on the same piece of code for five years some decisions that you've made at the beginning might not have been ideal and they take a long time to clean after that so those are the two things that would maybe tell myself to be careful about
0: as a entrepreneur and a busy person i'm sure sometimes there is like days where you're not happy or something happened is there a tricks you do or what you do when you're basically down and you want to go back to yourself? Meditation, running, gaming?
1: Yeah, meditation is very important. I tried to meditate at least 10 minutes a day just to start the day. I found sometimes I'm very nervous or anxious and not necessarily about the certain things, but just general anxiousness. And I think that clearing your head at the beginning of the day was one of the best learning I did. And in general, we have this channel on our Discord that is called Feel Good. And when you're down, you just browse a bit that. And we, every time we see something, customers saying they love our product or just people praising us, we just put it a screenshot there. And so if you feel down, you can always go to that channel. I think it's very rewarding to see that your work matters to people. And I think we all want that in the, at the end of the day. So that's been like our a bit of a secret sauce that we try to do.
0: We're going to switch to dark side. Dark side is where we talk about stuff that didn't work as you expected. Feel free to share stories. don't have to mention names. Tell us about the stories that you learned from it. Or the stories that was basically not a good story. You know, something that happened and it not was you expected and you feel bad about it. So it just was not a good outcome.
1: This might not be necessarily one story. I think in general, what I find very hard in the consumer space is that people don't like to pay for software. And I realize now that I'm a bit like that myself and I don't realize it or I didn't realize it before. That It's very hard to get individuals to pay for software in general. It's very easy to criticize certain business models or certain things like that. It's very hard to build a business. So I think that I do get frustrated or it's harder for us to make a sustainable business just for B2C. I think we want it to just be B2C for a long time. I don't think it's very possible in today's world. Like there's so much stuff that people make open source or just for free or very cheap, that it's very hard to enter and make a living out of a consumer-based product. It's very hard. I wouldn't say impossible because it's always possible, but a niche consumer-based product, your chance of succeeding is pretty much... Not zero, but almost zero. (laughs) I would say. I think that's something I didn't realize when I started, and I think it bumped me out a lot.
0: Thank you very much. Was pleasure talking to you. Good luck. You guys are Canadian cybersecurity company. Very proud of having more companies right now in the Canadian security market. So good luck there.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot, and see you soon.
0: Thank you, everyone, listening. We will see you in the next episode. Thank you, everyone.